Good morning. And especially we want to welcome and say good morning to the children who are joining us for the entire month of June. So children, welcome to the adult uh, service. Uh, can you hear me at the back? You can, right? Good? All right. Great. Now, firstly, let me ask a question. Have you been to uh, this store? Ah, you've been to this store, right? And if you've been to this store, surely you must have had this soft serve ice cream, right? Yeah. And by the way, do you know how to say this word? Is it Ikea or is it Ikea or is it Ikea? Which is which? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer here. You know why? Because I-K-E-A is actually not a Swedish word. It's not a Swedish word. It is actually an acronym. So the word IKEA or IKEA, I learned, represents the initials of the founder whose name is, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and uh, plus the name of the farm that he grew up in, uh, and lastly, the name of its nearby village, which is called this, all right? And so the acronym is I-K-E-A. Now, whenever you visit an IKEA store or IKEA store, you will find many words that may be difficult to pronounce, like this, and this, and this, right? Difficult words to spell and say, aren't they? Uh, but here's one word that's very easy to spell, easy to remember, and easy to say. It is the word fika. Now, how do you pronounce this word? Easy, fika. Fika. Fika is a Swedish word which means let's have coffee, let's have cinnamon rolls, pastries, fika. And I was told that the Swedes, they have fika twice a day. One at 10 a.m. in the morning, and secondly, the second one is about uh, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And fika lasts for about a half an hour or even longer. And no one says no to fika when they're invited to, to join for fika. Because taking a work break and meeting up with people is a must. That is why Sweden is one of the happiest countries in the world. According to 2022, uh, Sweden ranked seven. Happiest country in the world. And Singapore, 25. Sad. Now today, I would like to talk about the importance of fika in discipleship. Because today's topic, as was assigned, is about discipleship. Fika in being taught and learning God's word together. And I do not mean just having coffee. If fika is about meeting people, if it's about hanging out together, spending time with one another, chill, shop, play, talk about life, etc., then fika discipleship is learning faith by seeing others live out faith in such an informal meeting. And I call this, next slide, Fika Cipleship. Okay, I put a patent on this, by the way, Fika Cipleship. Now, how does Fika Cipleship, Fika Cipleship look like? Well, it is not just teaching, but it is showing. It is not just training, but it is modeling. So Fika Cipleship, 
is not constrained or limited by structure, like having to read one chapter of scripture or answer a set of questions. There are benefits in that structure, yes, but discipleship is informal discipleship making, disciple making rather, that occurs by modeling. Modeling, and I do not mean, you know, the catwalk, but modeling as in modeling through example. Why? Because you and I learn a lot by observation. We learn by looking at others. So case in point is that how did the disciples learn how to pray? How did they learn how to pray? Well, it was through the Lord's modeling. They saw Jesus praying. They observed Jesus praying. And having seen that, they now asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so that's why today we have what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is better described as the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Now come to think of it, we learn how to pray by observing how our leaders pray, don't we? So if your leaders like to say the word amen after one line, there's a tendency that you may also do so. You will say amen after every line. If they say, yeah, yeah, you'd also say that in your prayer. And then if they make the sound when they pray, you tend to do the same thing. And you, you know the history behind that, right? I was told that uh, why do some people pray and do the tis tis sound? It's because they say there was an elderly godly man who had loose dentures. And when he was praying, dentures kept dropping and he had to put it back. And so people thought that that was the way to pray. You make the tis tis sound, okay? That's just joking. But what I'm saying is that we learn prayer through observation and modeling. Now the Apostle Paul also knew the power of modeling. Along with Silvanus and Timothy, Paul, you know what he did? He worked hard for his food. He avoided being a freeloader. He did not stay idle. He worked hard. They all worked hard because they wanted to model industry and hard work for the Thessalonians. Telling them, imitate us. Do not walk in idleness. Do not be busybodies, but be busy at work. And so Paul says, next slide. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And so Paul taught through his example. He modeled for the Thessalonians hard work when he stayed with them. And that is discipleship through modeling. That is discipleship by showing. And so to parents, parents who have the primary role of discipling their children, a lot of that kind of discipleship happens in the home. And so we learned in church camp, if you went to church camp, we learn in church camp that our children's first church is actually the home. No, our children's first church is not the first church that they stepped in, but it's the home. Because it is in the home where children are taught the faith by their parents. And it's, it is in the home where children see for themselves what a life of faith is. 
And so do you remember Deuteronomy 6? We just did that, Deuteronomy 6. Remember the instruction that was given to parents. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the, your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, certainly, you, we are not to take Moses' command literally. The point here is that teaching God's word is to be intentional, but at the same time, natural. It is teaching, it is disciple-making that happens in everyday life in the home, which tells us that a lot of teaching happens informally through verbal and nonverbal instruction. And nonverbal instruction is modeling. Nonverbal instruction is showing. So John Yonts, he wrote a book entitled Everyday Talk. Everyday Talk, talking freely and naturally about God to your children. And he writes, because this is my favorite quote from his book, he writes and he says, when Moses tells us to impress God's commandment on our children, unlikely does this mean you quote the Bible all day. Unlikely does this mean that you spout systematic theology in every conversation. It does mean that as you, as a parent, grasp a profound truth of God's word, you find ways to explain it to your children. And one impactful way to explain God's truth is living it out. It's living it out. Like how you respond to tiny events in your life. You know how you respond? It demonstrates to your children God's truth. And so the author of this book, John Yonts, he gives an example of a father who was looking forward to playing golf that day with his buddies. And then suddenly the rain fell like it did this morning. The rain fell, and so the father looks out the window, and he mutters, he grumbles, and he says, stupid rain. Now, the father's response to this tiny event, which is the sudden rain, did not escape the son's observation. The father's cursing the weather presents powerfully to his child his view of God. And what was his view of God? How powerful is it? Well, you and I know that he is going to have a tough time when he urges his child to sing, he is the Lord of the sunshine and the Lord of the rain when they go to church because of what he did. So discipleship, teaching the faith to kids, is powerfully done by modeling. Because teaching our children about God is not just handing down the textbook to them, but rather giving them the living textbook. Children need to see in us the living textbook. So Fika discipleship is teaching through showing, through modeling. Now let me address the DG leaders in our midst. When the discipleship group meets in your home, you know what? You have no shortage of lessons to teach through modeling. Say your bookshelf. Your bookshelf inspires what one should read. So you better be careful what kind of books you have. The possessions that you amass, the collections that you have, they somehow guide your observers how one should spend God's money. 
how you speak to your helper, models for your learners how God views the aliens and the foreigners, which is, we know that God cares for them. He is their Lord too. And then when you invite people to your homes, you model hospitality to your learners. And when it comes to hospitality, I must say, there is no need to do deep cleaning. You know, when you plan to do to, uh, to uh, exercise hospitality, because the aim of hospitality is not to impress, nor is it to entertain. Instead, it is to make people welcome, loved, and cared for. And so it is not necessary to cook up a storm. And uh, Proverbs guides us, show this passage, says, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with Hatred. You look at this verb, uh, this uh, Proverbs, what it tells us is that serve bitter gourd. <laughs> Spinach will do, right? You don't need to baste tomahawks or ribeyes because what matters is the love and welcome that is shown by your hospitality. So do not fuss like Martha, and I'm not talking about Martha Stewart, but Martha the sister of Mary. Do not fuss like Martha did and miss the whole point of hospitality. Hospitality is to point to your guests, Jesus. It is to showcase God's love so that they will know Jesus and desire to follow him. Because Jesus, he came to call all who have sinned and strayed away from home, and he calls them to come back home. And so he died to pay for our sin and restore us back to the Father. Jesus' death, his resurrection, welcomes all of us home. And so we must then, next slide, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. So hospitality is an impactful gesture that showcases God's love. Now in Fika Discipleship, there are two textbooks, the Bible and your life, which is also known as the living textbook. Modeling is powerful. So as teacher, you show and model how one who loves Jesus lives. Fika discipleship is teaching through modeling and showing. Second point. Fika discipleship is not discipleship from a distance. You know, discipleship from a distance is the discipleship that you and I receive from the pulpit on a Sunday for about 30 minutes or 40 minutes or 45, depending on the preacher. You sit quietly by yourselves from where you're seated. You do not know the preacher. The preacher does not know you. Uh, yes, it still counts as discipleship, but it is not fika discipleship. Because fika discipleship is learning that you receive not from a distance, but up close. Not from a distance, but up close. So let me do a plug-in. Today you have a chance for fika fellowship or fika discipleship. This afternoon after the second service, Pastor Chris is hosting the newcomer's lunch, the newcomer's meal at his home in uh, ARPC at Adam. And so, Pastor Chris, he's taught you a lot of times, but he doesn't know you, and uh, you do not know him personally. But when you join the newcomer's meal, 
you have an opportunity for fake discipleship. You have a chance for an informal, up close learning over tea, over coffee, from a preacher who is no longer preaching behind the pulpit with authority, but now he has moved from preacher to a brother, to a brother. And over Fika, the preacher who now becomes a brother, can give you off-the-cuffs teaching, which is tailored just for you in response to your specific need. That is the beauty of Fika discipleship. That is the beauty of an up-close discipleship. Now, ever since the invention of the uh, printing press, uh, followed by the transmission of sound waves through radio and then through uh, vinyl records and cassette tapes, distance discipleship became an option for believers to learn God's Word. Distance discipleship became a means uh, in following Jesus. And then when internet boom, the internet boom, the internet church, aka the online church, was born. And suddenly, it became possible to learn about the faith, to gain knowledge from a distance, on demand, in unlimited quantities. Because of minimal relationships with God's people, such knowledge that is learned from a distance, you know what happens? it tends to puff one up. It tends to make one conceited. Whereas in contrast, knowledge that is learned from constant, up-close relationship, that kind of knowledge, it builds one another up. So I recall my days uh, when collections of uh, sermons in uh, cassette tapes <laughs> were accessible. I remember my pastor suggesting suggesting to me the goodness of listening to just one sermon per week. Now, let me repeat that. Huh? He suggested to me, just listen to one sermon per week in church. What does he mean by that? He says, to him, one sermon a week calls for a slow and unhurried reflection. It forces you to do self-examination. It presses you for repentance and obedience. Whereas learn or listening to too many sermons on demand, listening to too many sermons in one go, it may give one indigestion. Indigestion. It's like a potted plant that gets watered too frequently. You think that it's going to accelerate its growth. Uh, but no, because there's no time for the soil to dry. There's no time for the soil to breathe. In the end, the plant dies from root rot. So instead of growth towards maturity, it is the plant's death that is accelerated. That is the danger of discipleship from a distance. One can gain a lot of knowledge from reading. One can gain... Uh, a lot of knowledge from listening to preachers or teachers on Spotify, you know, preachers and teachers who would not have taught you nonstop <laughs> if he were to meet you face to face. Discipleship from a distance can give one knowledge, but it is knowledge that puffs up. Fika discipleship, on the other hand, offers knowledge 
that builds up because one learns up close from a brother, from a sister who appears in the flesh without Photoshop, but with all the imperfections and flaws and idiosyncrasies growing slowly together with you towards holiness. And you know, where there is physical real meetup, there is mutual effort to be patient, to be kind, to be forbearing. You know, over fika, over a cup of coffee, over tea, we actually train ourselves to exercise humility, don't we? Considering the other better than ourselves. We outdo one another in showing honor. Our haughtiness is muted. And then we shun being wise in our own eyes. We learn to be open-minded. This is what fika discipleship does. We become open-minded because we now take time to consider, to consider the other person's view, to see things through their eyes. And then we avoid the folly of believing that we are always right, which is the definition of being close-minded. Now question, have you ever received an angry text or an angry email? I have. There was a hearer who was unhappy. He disagreed over what I said in a sermon. Now, how should you respond if you receive such an email? You meet the person face to face over fika. And I must tell you, it works wonders. Why? Because up close, you get to hear each other. You see each other's perspective. You flee the folly of believing you are always right. And this is something that is missing when you just watch YouTube services or listen to sermons from Spotify. Up close discipleship is better. That's called fika discipleship. Now, up close discipleship can also happen in activities that includes play. Now, in recent years, if you haven't noticed, there's a trend among the young switching from online games to now board games. There's this trend. They've already switched from online gaming to board games. And so you think that board games belong to the boomers, right? No. There's now a revival of board games. And such up-close play provides opportunities for serving one another, for practicing hospitality, and learning to accept loss and defeat gracefully. So playing together, whether it's sports or board games, play is an activity that can promote discipleship. It is an opportunity to prove uh, that when Christians play basketball or when Christians play football, they forget that they're Christians. That is a fallacy. And you and I must prove that that is a fallacy. Because in reality, when God's people, when God's children play together, they shouldn't be needing a referee, right? And let me mention too, that shopping with fellow believers is also fika discipleship. Because shopping with a holy company puts a bridle on your spending, doesn't it? Suddenly, the presence of a brother or a sister besides you reminds you 
that your money is not your money, but your money belongs to God. In fact, everything belongs to God, and that you are merely a steward. So consumer behavior suddenly changes when you remember that you are a steward, doesn't it? Uh, you will not squeeze the seller to give you a ridiculous discount, but rather you will aim for a win-win where you get your purchase at a good price and the seller also earns a profit. That is a win-win. And then when you buy your groceries, you would pick and choose fruits with gentleness. You know, because fruits are God's fruits, by the way. And so you will not press your fingernails against the apple. Please don't do that. Because your godly aim is win-win. Win for you and win for the grocer. And at times, listen to this, at times when you get a rotten egg or when you bag an ugly apple, sometimes when even when you discover too late that the next shop offers a better deal, you will not sulk. You will not mope. You will instead learn to absorb loss gracefully. Because shopping with fellow believers can be an up-close discipleship, which one misses out, by the way, when you do online shopping alone. And so why Fika discipleship? Let me summarize, because the sermon is about to end. There's power in modeling and showing how faith is lived out. People are observant. They watch how we live our faith. They see why we behave differently from the world, from their friends. And so we teach powerfully by modeling and by showing. We are, in a sense, a living textbook. Even before we point to people, the textbook. And then when we disciple over Fika, we practice hospitality. And hospitality showcases God's love and welcome. Now, I must mention too, by the way, that hospitality saves. Did you know that? Hospitality saves. It saves people who may be otherwise alone sinning in front of their computers. It saves people who may otherwise be wallowing in grief or depression. Hospitality saves. It also saves yourself. It saves yourself from stinginess and self-centeredness. So Fika discipleship, it fosters slow and unhurried learning when it is done up close. Because you are forced to reflect, you are forced to respond to what God is teaching you. And when you fika and spend time with fellow believers, their presence promotes holy living. It trains you in humility, it trains you in godliness, it trains you in patience. Now this month of June, our discipleship groups, we take a break formally and we do not meet every week. And so there may be no formal teaching, formal studying, but then informal discipleship do still continue. It can still continue. So you know the Apostle Paul, he, thought, he told the Thessalonians, 
slide. He says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So Paul tells us that the gospel does not come only in spoken word, but that the gospel, it comes with passion and conviction. And then it is supported by life. Life. So Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So if you browse through First Thessalonians, you know that Paul showed them how he lived, how they lived. They worked hard. They labored. They did not demand their apostolic or their teacher's rights. How they lived was the result of the power of the gospel. How they lived gave credibility to the gospel that they preached. How they lived was informal discipleship. Now, I was told that in the art of persuasion, this life element, how you live your life, is called ethos, ethos. And it is believed, ethos is believed to be the most powerful component when it comes to persuasion. And so you want to persuade others to believe and follow the Jesus that you proclaim? Consider the power of ethos, how you live your life, apart from the formal Bible study meetings. So ask does your life give credibility to the gospel that you preach? Does your life model the faith that you proclaim? You know, it is common to hear students say, I couldn't remember uh, what teacher so-and-so taught me. But they would remember how teacher so-and-so conducted themselves in school and outside school. So I recall physics was my favorite subject when I was in high school because I wanted to study to be an engineer. But if you were to ask me today what I learned from physics, I could tell you that ah, I remember that gravitational acceleration is 9.8 meters per second square, right? But then if you were to give me a physics word problem, I do not think that I'll be able to solve it today because I've forgotten most of what my teacher taught me. But I will never forget, I will never forget my physics teacher, Mr. Bernard Young, uh, because of the acts of kindness that he showed me. So I remember I did not have lunch money in those days, but Mr. Young, he would invite me to join him for lunch, and he would pay for my lunch at an eatery outside school. And then for my graduation, Mr. Young gave me my first ever Christian cassette tape, Steve Green, For God and God Alone. How many of you have that? Okay, don't raise your hand. It will reveal your age. And so I do not remember the Doppler effect or coefficient of friction, but what Mr. Young did, how he lived his Christian life, it led me a step closer to Jesus. And so students may not remember the many things that you've taught in class. Students may not remember what you taught as a DG leader, but how you live your life, the love of Jesus that you have shown them, 
they will not forget. That is the impact of informal discipleship. That is the power of fika discipleship. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you use our lives to attract people to the faith that we proclaim, to inspire people to obey the commands that you have handed us down to us for us to teach them. We pray, O oh Lord, that our lives will be impactful and will attract them to follow the faith that we profess, that we live out according to your grace each day to the glory of your name and for the good of the people around us. Enable us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.